Welcome to the podcast of Follow Baptist Church. Our vision and mission is to follow Jesus in our community for His glory. We hope and pray that you are blessed, challenged and inspired by this message. For more information on Follow Church, you can visit our website at www.followchurch.com.au. We're going to be continuing our If You Were in the World's Greatest Story series this morning. Uh, So we're going to open our Bibles now, and we're continuing to read that great story. Uh, We're looking at the book of Matthew today, uh, chapter 1 and verses 18 to 20. So if you want to open up your Bibles to that, that would be terrific. If you didn't bring a Bible today and you would like one, uh, we have baskets along the aisles filled with Bibles. And if you don't have a Bible at home, uh, that is our gift to you. You may take that and keep it and read it. So, Matthew chapter 1, verses 18 through to 24. This is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, the angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet, The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him, and took Mary home as his wife. But he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and he gave him the name Jesus. Amen. Welcome, Luke. Thank you, Hayden. Need to start with an apology today. I don't have an acrostic poem in my sermon. I have one in the kids' talk and in the kids' presentation, but I haven't got one. But I have got a saying that I need your help with. And the saying is this, behind every great man is a woman rolling her eyes. That's right. In my household, there's four women rolling their eyes. But the saying goes, behind every great man is a great woman. Some people say behind every great man is an even greater woman, and that's probably true in our household. But as we read through the gospel accounts... We read about a great woman, Mary, and we talked about her last week and some of the things that made her a great woman. But there's also a great man, and it's her husband, Joseph. In the Gospel accounts of Jesus' birth, the primary focus is usually on Mary as the mother of Jesus. And last week, we explored some of the reasons why she was such an incredible woman. But today, I want to focus in on Joseph, because behind that great woman, there was also a great man. I think perhaps Joseph sometimes, uh, like the donkey, gets a little bit lost in the story. If you're visiting Follow today, or you've missed the last couple of weeks, as Hayden said a moment ago, we're in the third week of our Christmas series, which is simply titled, What If You Were in the World's Greatest Story? And in this series, we're trying to kind of immerse ourselves in the experience and in the mindset of the main characters in that first Christmas story to try and understand the awe and wonder of Christmas time. We don't want to take this season for granted. We want to really delve in to see what God may teach us in Christmas time 2017. And so, so far in the series, we've camped in Luke's gospel, 
as we've considered Zechariah, Elizabeth and Mary. But today we've shifted over to Matthew's gospel for the simple reason that Luke's gospel, as well as the gospels of Mark and John, have very little insight into Joseph. In fact, he's barely mentioned in the story at all. However, in chapter 1 of Matthew's gospel, we get seven brief verses that really give us a snapshot, a little insight into how Joseph felt and how he responded to the news of Jesus' birth. And so before we get started, I think it's important to probably you know, cover a little bit of the background of the story up until this stage. Joseph and Mary, as we've found out in recent weeks, uh, a very young couple. They're likely to be in between 12 and 15 years of age, so very young. And verse 18 tells us that they were pledged to be married. Today we would call that an engagement, and it's very similar to an engagement, but in that time was actually a lot more involved. Engagement was known as betrothment or betrothal in Jewish law. It went for around about one year, and it, could, it was seen as a binding contract which could only be broken by death or divorce. And so in effect, the man was already the husband, but the woman remained in her father's household until the public wedding day and the consummation of their marriage after that day. And so Mary and Joseph, at this point in the story, were fully committed to each other. They had come to the point of no return. But before the public wedding day, before they made it official, the angel Gabriel, and this is what we looked at last week, appeared to Mary to announce to her a change of plans. And it was a pretty significant change of plans that the Holy Spirit would come upon Mary and she would conceive a son supernaturally. And that son would be Jesus. He wouldn't be an ordinary child, but he would be the promised Messiah they'd been waiting centuries for. And his kingdom will never end. He is the son of God, God in human form, the one who will save people from their sins. Now, this is a pretty massive announcement. This is a pretty supernatural declaration. And I think the virgin birth would have been something very difficult to, for Mary to get her head around. And I think, to be honest, as we come to Christmas time again, I think the virgin birth is still a stumbling block for many people today without faith. And the reason it's a stumbling block is that it sounds impossible. It sounds kind of make-believe, like some sort of Disney fairy tale. But as people of faith today, we shouldn't be surprised by the role of the Holy Spirit in this event. From the very second verse of the first book of the Bible, we see the Holy Spirit appearing as an agent of the triune God working in creation and the giving of life. You might remember in the Genesis account, the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters, ready to create. Of course, if you're a Christian here today, you've also experienced the life-giving breath of the Spirit, not only in your first birth, but in your second birth when the Holy Spirit opened your eyes to the person of Jesus and He breathed His Spirit into your heart and you went from death to life in Christ. And so you know the power of the Holy Spirit in your own life. And so if the Holy Spirit is involved in the creation of all things, the entire universe, and he can bring you and me from death to life, then we shouldn't be surprised. It should be entirely believable that he could also bring life from life, like he did with Mary. This is a supernatural power of God who has created all things and can do all things. These are the sort of things that make God God. And it's one of the wonders of Christmas that we remember a supernatural God acted in supernatural ways out of love for us to bring us back into relationship for him. And so today, as we remember Jesus, it's a wonderful occasion for us. But I reckon for Mary, 
that first Christmas, it would have been kind of scary. And it would have been scary for a number of reasons, but maybe none more so than the fact that she had the task of conveying all of this to Joseph, her husband-to-be. And even though I believe Joseph was a man of God, we could hardly blame him for struggling to believe Mary's story or to come to terms with the consequences of this announcement. And so today we can only imagine how Joseph responded to this news. And to help your imagination, we have a special guest today, as we have had in the last couple of weeks. We've invited him all the way from 4 BC, all the way to 2017 AD. His name's Joseph. Let's give him a warm welcome. He's going to tell us how he felt. G'day, everyone. I'm Joseph, in case you can't tell. Sorry about the footwear. I um, left my biblical sandals in the stable somewhere. Um, I'm in a bit of a pickle, and I need some good advice from all of you. You see, I'm engaged to this girl, and she's a great girl and everything, but uh, yesterday I found out she was pregnant. And when she first told me, I was confused, and then I was angry. She was pretty shaken up. And she told me this story about an angel visiting her and telling her that it was God's child. That sounds pretty ridiculous, right? Now, I know it's not my baby, but at the same time, she's not really the type to sleep around. Do you think she's lying to me? Is there some guy that I don't even know about? I really thought I understood this girl, but an angel... God's child? It just seems a bit far-fetched. Look, all I know is I don't want to be caught up in this scandal. I've got my whole life ahead of me, and I don't want to deal with an illegitimate child and everything that goes along with that. But what do I do about Mary? She's got so much to live for, and what if she is telling the truth? Look, here's what I think I'll do. I'll keep it quiet. Who knows what could happen to Mary if I expose her publicly. It'd be the end of her reputation. It might even be the end of her life. So I'm just going to divorce her quietly, I think. Maybe just tell her to get away from all of this. And whatever is going on, it's something that I don't want to be a part of. Thank you, Joseph. Who would have known that Joseph looks like Hayden, our service host? But as it turns out, that's the way it is, and they both like girls called Mary, so that works out really well. But you can sort of see, <laughs> you can sort of see from Hayden, aka Joseph, you can see some of the emotions. He's still yelling stuff out there, but you can see some of the emotions that perhaps he would have felt: maybe anger, disappointment, doubt, fear, confusion, stress, anxiety—all the things that normal people would feel in a situation like this. But I think as we look at Joseph in this passage today, there's also some things that we can really learn from him. And so today I'm going to primarily address the men. For obvious reasons, Joseph was a man. But women, don't tune out today because the end result of this sermon, if you're not married, could be a better future husband. If you are married, heaven forbid, it could be a better present husband um, because today there's a lot of stuff that men can learn. But I think in all seriousness, there's a lot of stuff that all of us can learn from Joseph's example. Joseph, the first thing I want to say about Joseph is this, is that Joseph was tough. Now, in our culture, being tough, particularly for men, 
is seen as a badge of honour. We look at our heroes and they're usually footy players or UFC fighters or, you know, men in those action films like Braveheart or, or Gladiator. And you don't, you know, meet many men who say, my favourite actor is Hugh Grant. <laughs> Even if he is charming and delightful and awesome, like my dad tells me that he is. <laughs> I love throwing dad under the bus. When I've got the microphone, it's great fun. But not many people see a guy like Hugh Grant as their hero. They see these big, strong men. And we say things like, real men don't cry. And, you know, we're in a society where there's things like coward punches, where there's men walking around the streets uh, trying to prove that they are, in inverted commas, for those listening on the podcast, tough. And so they go around punching innocent, unsuspecting people. We see Facebook and we get a glimpse of what a lot of men are like, where there's constant abuse on the computer from what we know as keyboard warriors who threaten and demean others with all sorts of offensive language. And we talk about men trying to prove that they're a man. We want to show our strength and we're certainly not going to show any sign of weakness because we're men. Ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> and that's what people see as manhood. That is what it is to be tough. In our society, many people think that's what it is to be a man. It probably goes without saying this morning, but I don't endorse those things as the things that will make you tough. In fact, I think in most of those cases, it simply proves one of two things. Either you're very insecure in your manhood or you're a complete idiot. And that's basically the two things that it proves when you do many of those things. And that's not the kind of tough this morning that I'm talking about. What I mean when I say tough men, I'm talking about men who would make tough decisions based on their convictions. I'm talking about men who stand firm on God's word when it's tempting not to. I'm talking about men who have genuine faith and they will follow God no matter what. I mean leading by example. These are the kind of tough that I think God wants us to be. And we live in a world, I don't know if you've noticed this, you've just got to watch the news tonight if you haven't, but we live in a world where there are too few men who are willing to step up into the type of men that God has created us to be. And so we see the news and there's brokenness in families and divorce. We see domestic violence, which is at absolutely epidemic proportions in our neighbourhood. It's one of the worst places in Australia for domestic violence right here in Cadinia and Casey Council Shires. We see people fighting and constant conflict and strife. And I think a lot of it happens because there's a void of men who are willing to honour God. And so what are we going to do about that? What, how are we going to fill that void? What's going to change that in our region? Well, I believe that I'm looking at the answer this morning. I'm looking at a group of men, you and me, who are called to stand up and be the men that God's called us to be, standing on our godly convictions, even if it costs us everything. And Wayne agrees with me, and that's awesome. And hopefully by the end of this message, some of the rest of you will as well. But God is calling us to be those kinds of men. And in this story, we see Joseph's toughness, and it can be a great example for us, and we see it pre-angel, and we see it post-angel. In this passage, it's very clear that Joseph loves Mary. I don't think we could debate that from a quick reading of those verses. He has committed his life to her. They are pledged to be married. His actions towards her are loving actions. But after the angel's announcement, despite his strong feelings of love for Mary, he showed that he was strong enough to stand on his convictions. I think a lot of the time in our lives, we are ruled by our emotions. And if there was a hierarchy in our life, and there was a king at the top of that hierarchy, I think if we're honest with ourselves, emotions is often the king of our lives. 
And so we, we tend to allow our emotions to rule over our convictions. If we had an honest reflection today, if we took stock of our lives, I think the majority of us would see that many situations in our lives demonstrate this, that our convictions actually bow down to our emotions. We have it upside down a lot of the time. And so we may have a biblical view on a particular issue, but we don't want to be unpopular, so we'll simply say nothing, or even worse, we'll just go along with the majority and our feelings will rule over our convictions. We may want to save ourselves for sex within a marriage relationship. But we meet someone and it's all lovey-dovey and we feel they're amazing and so we don't wait and our feelings rule over our convictions. We know Christian fellowship's important to gather regularly with the people of God, but sometimes we just don't feel like it and so our feelings and emotions rule over our convictions. We know what the Bible says about conflict resolution, that if we have an issue with someone, we should go straight to them. But we'd much rather avoid them hold a grudge, talk everyone else around to our point of view, and so our feelings rule over our convictions. We believe that gospel living is about radical generosity, but we want more for us, and so our feelings rule over our convictions. I could give you example after example about how our feelings often rule over our convictions. But this wasn't the case for a man like Joseph. After the Mary announcement that she was pregnant, Joseph knew that he wasn't the biological father, And despite his feelings of love towards Mary, he was convicted to do what was right. If you look at verse 19, it says, Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now today I can only imagine the heartbreak he was feeling, the disappointment that he was going through, feeling a sense of loss and hurt, and yet he was tough enough to do what was right in the eyes of the law and quietly divorce his wife. He shows that he's a man of conviction willing to make tough but right decisions pre-angel. But in verse 20, that plan completely changes. It says, After he considered all this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit and she will give birth to a son. I think this is a key moment for Joseph. He's made a decision to go one way. He's going to quietly divorce his wife according to the law, but an angel appears to him, and at God's word, he does a 360 degree turn and he starts to walk in a different direction in obedience to the word of God. That's a powerful thing. This was a tough decision. Joseph obeys God and he models obedience for us and he changes to a different course of action with its own set of consequences. This was a tough decision, but Joseph once again makes a tough call and he shows in this decision that he doesn't fear man, he fears God. He doesn't want to respect what people say, he wants to respect what God has to say. And I think, I firmly believe that our world needs more men like this. In fact, I think that for us today as the church, we live in the blessing of many strong men and women who have gone before us living strong lives based on their convictions. This morning, we have the privilege to read from our Bible, and we can pick this up, and it's, you know, it makes sense. We've got a copy of it, and if you don't have a copy, as Hayden said, you can grab a copy out of the basket, and so no one has to leave this place today not owning a Bible, and my guess is that most of us have multiple Bibles. You've got one, and then you've got another nine that sit on the shelf at home collecting dust, and then you read the one you've got once every day or every two weeks or at church or whatever. 
It is for you. But we all have access to God's Word. But it wasn't always the case. And I think the reason that we have access to God's Word is because there's some people that have gone before us and have left a legacy, like a guy called William Tyndale. A man that was born in 1494, Tyndale grew to be a man who loved God and loved standing on God's Word. And he had a conviction that every person should be able to read the Bible in their native tongue. And for us, that's a no-brainer. Of course, we want to read the Bible in English or whatever nationality we are. That just makes sense. But in Tyndale's day, that was not a popular view. It was seen as a dangerous view and in the end, his work in Bible translation actually led to him being executed because many people thought the Bible should never be translated out of its original language. And so a man like William Tyndale was executed for his belief that the Bible should be accessible for all people, but not before he did a lot of strong translation work bringing the Bible into the English language. And so we see a story of a strong man who stood on his convictions, even if it was going to cost him everything. And today, you and I are blessed with our Bibles, aren't we? We can read them every day. We can get to understand who God is and what he's done for us. And it's a wonderful blessing to be able to easily access God's Word. Well, in today's story, um, sorry, in his life, we saw that God used him in an incredible way in human history. But today, we can read the greatest story because of strong men like Tyndale. But Joseph, too, today, in today's passage, role models what it is to be a strong, godly man. And because of his willingness to be strong and stand on God's word, he's not only an influential man in human history, but he became an influential man in salvation history. And so not only are we blessed to be able to read the Bible today, we are blessed to say that we're saved that we have come to know Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, and God chose a man like Joseph, a strong, godly man, to become a key figure in salvation history, that he would look throughout all of history and he would choose Joseph of all men and say, I'm going to use you to be the husband of Mary, the mother of Jesus, to play a pivotal role in raising Jesus to be the man that he was. You see, Joseph had a decision, and I think we have a decision in our lives. I think one of the major reasons that we allow our emotions to rule our convictions and our lives is that we fear people. We fear what people will say. We fear what people will do. And we have this inbuilt desire to long to be accepted and to be liked. And Joseph had a decision. He could do what everyone else wanted him to do. He could bow down to people's opinions about what, were right, what was right and what was lawful. But Joseph ignored people's opinions and he submitted himself to God. The Apostle Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? Because if I'm still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. That's a challenging verse. Joseph models for us that he was a man that was tough enough to stand on his convictions. And so, first of all, Joseph was tough. God is looking for a bunch of men in his kingdom who are willing to be tough. But the second thing he's looking for, and perhaps this is more difficult for men, God is looking for men who are not just tough, but they are also tender. And perhaps that's the harder part for men this morning. When you order a steak, how do you order it? Do you order it rare? Who has rare steak? Does anyone here eat rare steak? 
My Uncle Andrew's scared to put his hand up, but yes, a couple of rappers. Anyone like it blue? Blue? Yeah, Heather's pointing to Andrew again. A couple of people like it blue. Take a mental note of these people. If you get caught on a deserted island, you do not want to be with these people. <laughs> because the second they get hungry and the sun touches your skin, they will kill you and they will eat you. There's no doubt about it. Who likes this? Take medium. Just a little bit of blood. Maybe a, a random potato floating on the plate in the blood. Yeah, some people like it medium. Who here likes it well done? All the normal people have their hand up. These are my brothers and sisters in Christ. They don't want any pink. They don't want any potatoes floating past in blood. They want their steak well done. What about vegans and vegetarians? Now, if you do get caught on a deserted island, you want to be caught with Johanna because she won't eat you. But when you get hungry, you can eat her. And so these are the people you want to be stuck on a deserted island with, vegetarians and vegans. But when it comes to steak, people like their steak different ways, don't they? All the way from tough to tender, and, you know, that's generally acceptable for some people, and that's fine. But there's a misconception in our world, isn't there, that particularly for men, you can only be one or the other. You're either tough or you're tender, and if you're tough, you can't be tender, and if you're tender, then you can't be tough. Well, today I want to propose that to be a man of God, you actually at times need to be both. You need to be both tough and tender. On the new U2 album, there's a song called There Is A Light. And Bono says in one of the lines, he says, are you tough enough to be kind? I love that line. Are you tough enough to be kind? I'm just going to change it a little bit today. and I'm going to ask you the question, are you tough enough to be tender? Are you tough enough to be tender? Joseph was tough but he was tender. And we see it in a couple of ways. Firstly, I think he was tender-hearted towards Mary, even in the planned divorce. In verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose Mary to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. I think Hayden captured those emotions in his little talk before. And assuming that Joseph didn't believe Mary's story at first, which I think is a fair assumption considering the planned divorce, we can only imagine he would feel angry and betrayed. If you've ever seen a person in our culture that is betrayed by a husband or wife, you will see that it doesn't take long to turn pretty nasty and pretty ugly. You'll probably notice that many people get bitter. They want everyone to know about it, and perhaps they even want revenge. Uh, there's a saying that says, hell hath no fury like a woman scorned. But let me tell you, my experience is that men are just as bad, even worse at times. We don't like being mistreated and betrayed. And so we can imagine how Joseph must have felt. But as we look at the passage today, there's not even a hint of any of that from Joseph. In verse 20, uh, sorry, in the Old Testament, people were stoned for adultery. But by Jesus' time, the majority of instances were handled according to the principle of Deuteronomy 24, verse 1, which states, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her, and sends her from his house. And this is what commonly happened in Jesus' day, but there were still two ways you could do that. The first way is that you could take her to a public trial where you would bring forth all the accusations against her, you would drag her name through the mud, and you would subject her to public disgrace, making sure everyone knew what she had done wrong. And in that way, you would exact revenge on your wife who had strayed. And that was the most common method of divorce. But there was a second less common method, but just as legitimate, and that was that you could simply call two witnesses and divorce your wife quietly. 
Now, because of Joseph's love for Mary, we see that he chose the less common but more tender-hearted approach. He didn't act out of his hurt, but instead he acted out of love for Mary, not wanting to subject her to public disgrace. And so we see his tenderness towards his wife-to-be. But I think the more important way in this passage that he was tender-hearted was in his posture towards God. My granddad is a very tough guy. He was in the used to fly the bombers in World War II, and uh, he was part of a generation of men that went to war, and they saw horrific things, and they came back, and they never really talk about it, and they never really show emotion, and they're just really tough, hardened, battle-weary men. Have you noticed that? And this is what men were like in World War II. And my granddad, growing up, I never saw any emotion. I, I love my granddad. He's a great example in many ways, a very godly man, but I never saw any tears welling up. I never saw any emotion whatsoever. But a year and a half ago, our daughter Taylor was baptized um, at the last venue and granddad came along. And at the end of the service, I saw him walking towards me. And for the first time in his life that I had seen, his eyes welled up with tears and they started to run down his cheek. And he said to me, I wasn't going to come today because I was feeling unwell. But he said, if I didn't come today, it would have been the biggest mistake of my life. And he went on to say how proud he was of Taylor and how proud he was of me to be serving God in ministry. And, and, you know, I saw him cry for the first time in in his life that I had ever seen. And yet my estimations of him didn't go down. They actually went up significantly because we know the saying, real men don't cry, but we actually know that real men do. And and that day, my admiration for Grandad went higher. A couple of months ago, our, our nana died. And once again, I saw the emotion in granddad and he was ashamed and embarrassed that he cried. And I said to him, it's nothing to be ashamed of. It just showed that you loved. You loved your wife in an incredible way. And once again, my estimations of him went up to see him as an even more godly man than I'd ever known before. See, Joseph was a godly man who was willing to open his heart to God's word. And as soon as he hears from God, he puts aside his own plans, he lets go of his hurt and anger, and out of love for God, he submits his plans to God's plan. In my quiet times at the moment, I'm reading through 1 Samuel. There was a verse that stood out to me, a couple of verses. It says that King David was a brave man and a fine warrior. He speaks well and is a fine-looking man, and the Lord is with him. And it reminded me of me, but that's not the verse I want to talk about this morning. That was a joke. I talked about humility last week. Very important. The verse that struck out was actually around Saul. And Saul had recently been made king of Israel. And this is what it says. It says, Saul also went to his home in Gibeah, accompanied by valiant men whose hearts God had touched. I love that. Valiant men whose hearts God had touched. These were valiant men. They were tough, uncompromising warriors, and yet they had tender-hearted hearts that are open and have been touched by the living God. And what it says to me is this, that tough and tender aren't mutually exclusive, but if we look at the greatest characters in Scripture, they actually go hand in hand. They're like Siamese twins. To be tough and tender is to be a godly man. Of course, that was King Saul's greatest problem, that he was tough, but he was not tender-hearted towards God or towards other people. But the one that came after him, King David, he made many mistakes, but he was, from the very start, a man who was said to be a man after God's own heart. He was an incredible man, strong and courageous, a man of conviction, a great and godly leader, a warrior, but he was also a worshipper. He was tough, 
but he was also tender. He would lead his, man, his men into battle, but he was quick to fall to his knees in prayer. He made many mistakes, but he was quick to repent. Jesus, of course, is the ultimate example of a man who was tough and tender. And we see it in his life. He didn't mince his words. Have you ever noticed that about Jesus? You know, Jesus, meek and mild, not all the time. He talked to the religious hypocrites. He said, you brood of vipers. And he says, you take young men and you turn them into twice the sons of hell that you are. That's pretty strong words. That's a pretty tough guy who was willing to stand on his convictions and say the truth no matter what. What Jesus carried for us was extraordinary. He endured ridicule, persecution, pain and loss. He stood up against the religious hypocrites of the day. He spoke truth with power. He sweat drops of blood. He hung on a cross on our behalf. He was incredibly tough. He was uncompromising. He was bold. And yet in the shortest verse in all of Scripture, it simply says these words. It says, Jesus wept. Jesus wept. It says he looked upon the crowds. He had compassion on them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Joseph, in today's text, was tough and tender. And because of his tenderness towards God, he was willing to be obedient to whatever he asked, no matter what it cost. In verse 20, it says, An angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save people from their sins. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he did what the Lord had commanded. The angel of the Lord had commanded him, and he took Mary home as his wife, but he did not consummate their marriage until she gave birth to a son, and then he gave him the name Jesus. What we see here in Joseph's life is complete tender-heartedness towards God manifesting in unwavering obedience to his word. It's tough to obey God's word. But let me tell you, men here today, it takes as much tenderness as it does toughness to be willing to be obedient to the word of God. Last week we spoke of Mary's humility, that she was simply a humble servant used by God. Today we see Joseph, who was also simply a humble servant. He was a tradie in a town with no reputation whatsoever. He lived in a normal house from a normal family. And God looks at Joseph, that normal, average, everyday bloke, and he says, you're my man. You're the man I'm going to choose for this role, to be Mary's husband, to raise Jesus as your own son. And what's recorded eternally about Joseph here in this story is the greatest recommendation we can ever get from God. You get to the end of your life and your funeral happens and people say nothing about you except these words. It would trump anything else, any other achievement we could ever have in life. And it simply says this, Joseph did what the Lord commanded him. Joseph did what the Lord commanded him no matter what. Joseph is a stellar example of godliness. He was tough. And he was tender. Today I want to challenge all of us here today and I want to start by asking you the question, are you tough enough? Are you willing to stand on God's word no matter what it costs? Because the time is coming, church, when it's going to cost something. Will you proclaim the truth of God in a world that hates it? Are you willing to be obedient when God calls you to share the good news? Will you make decisions that are right? Even if they're unpopular. Men here today, will you step up and lead by example? 
Will you avoid being absent fathers in your family, but instead be willing to love your wife, encourage, support, and guide your family? Are you tough enough? Perhaps a more challenging question for men this morning is, are you tender enough? Are you tender-hearted towards others? Or has your heart grown a little apathetic or perhaps a little hard? Is your heart open to God and his words to you? Will you follow him no matter what? Men, are you tender-hearted enough to lead your families through self-sacrifice and unconditional love? Will you love them and support them through all the seasons of life like many of you promised on your wedding day? Men who aren't yet married, young men, will you be Christ's representative in this world, in your workplaces, in your schools, in your universities, in your lives? Are you prepared to be valiant men whose hearts have been touched and continue to be touched by God. Men and women, God's people are most effective and most like Christ when they are tough and when they are tender. I believe this is the kind of men and the kind of people that God is calling us to be, and I pray that follow. We'll have men and women who live these kind of lives, complementing and serving each other for the glory of God. And if we do, I believe that we will also find ourselves stepping into the world's greatest story. And just like God did with Joseph and Mary, God will use us to do incredible things for him. Because his story is not finished. It's still being written. And he calls you and me to be part of it. Let's bow our heads and we're going to pray. Lord God, every week we thank you for your word because it's so challenging and it's so confronting and it's so encouraging and it's so life-changing. And Lord, we want to thank you today for the example of not only Jesus, but the example of the characters in this first Christmas story. Lord, we want to thank you for Mary last week and Zechariah and Elizabeth, but today we want to thank you for Joseph. We thank you that he was a man that role-modeled so many helpful things to us. And most of all, Lord, I want to thank you that he was a tough man, willing to stand on his convictions no matter what it cost and no matter what people thought. But Lord, I want to thank you and praise you too that he was a tender man, a tender man towards his wife and towards other people, and most of all, a tender-hearted man towards you. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be open to you, that we would be tender-hearted, that you would continue to shape and mould us for your glory, that we would be people that would know you, that would become more like you, and we would share you with the rest of the world. We pray this today in Jesus' name. Amen.